Welcome to another inspirational podcast at Real Life Church. For more great content and updates, visit reallifechurchkc.com. Get up on your feet. We are going to sing loud. We are going to celebrate and worship big our good God, who no matter what you're going through, his love is coming after you without relent. So let's lift it up to our God this morning. Salvation sounds a new beginning.
think we got some praise in this place this morning. Yes. What an honor it is to be able to worship with you in this place today. We're going to continue to worship him together this morning. And I just really encourage you to really lean into him. And through this next song, we sing a lot about holy ground. And so my encouragement is to you is to not let holy ground be a place, but a position and a posture in your heart as we continue to worship him together this morning. Thank you. 
worship you in song because you bring us life, you bring us love, and you rescue us from the darkness. So we worship you for who you are.
guys can have a seat for just a second. God, we just come to you in prayer. This has been just such a crazy weekend, God, as we just remember what happened 20 years ago. And we just, we just give it all to you today, God. We got people that are hurting. We got people that knew people who were there, God. We have first responders that this just hits so close to home. And God, we just lay it all at your feet. We just give you praise, God, that you brought us here today. We just pray that you'll challenge us this morning, God, to see things differently. We pray that we just won't leave here the same. And we just lay it all at your feet. Everybody here in the room, can we give it up big for God this morning as we say in his name, amen. Amen. Huh. Old Drew got to talking. <laughs> got a little bit late. Sorry about that. But hey, it is so good to see you guys. And uh, I hope you're having a great Sunday so far. And uh, I want to recognize a really special group of people. And they're called Real Life Church Online. So everybody in the room, let's give it up big for them this morning. Yeah. If you're online right now, thank you for being here. Welcome. And I just want you to throw up some likes and some hearts. And maybe more importantly than that, interact with each other in the chat. We love seeing that. And there's going to be some links this morning I want you to click on. And one of them is right there right now. And I'm going to ask everybody in the room to also do this. Get your phone out and text RLNEW to 97000 if you are brand new here with us today. If that's you, welcome. And don't leave here today without stopping by our new here booth. We have a special gift for you as our way of saying thanks. Now, I also want to throw something else here at you. What would happen if you gave God three more Sundays here at Real Life Church? The next three Sundays, if you're brand new, what would happen? What truths from the Bible will be revealed to you? What will you learn about God and his plan and purpose for your life? I don't know, but I guarantee you, you'll never be disappointed if you come back out and see us again. Seriously, you're our honored guest. We love having you here. Let me tell you a little bit more about Real Life Church. Real Life Church is a church on a mission. And that mission is to see people far from God discover their real life and purpose in Jesus. And another way we like to say that, we're a church for the unchurched. We're a place you could come, but you don't have to know everything. Feels kind of good, doesn't it? You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to have all your stuff together. You don't have to have all the answers. We just want to partner with you. and We just want to be here for you as you learn more and grow more in your faith. So I want to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you again. I want you to think about some people in your life that are close to you, but far from God. What might happen if they started joining you? Real Life Church. We'd love for you to be on mission with us. We'd love to see you here each and every week and just really put down some roots at Real Life Church. I hope you think about that if you haven't already. I hope to pray about that this week. Man, I tell you what, guys, said it before, 20 years. Does that seem real? And what's, what's even crazier about that, you know, the, the 20 years anniversary of 9-11, what's even crazier about that is looking in the room and realizing like, oh yeah, you're probably like a baby. Oh yeah, you, you might not have even been born yet. That just seems unreal. But whether you were alive then or, or you just, you know, know a little bit about it or you remember like exactly where you were, you know that 20 years ago, our lives changed forever. The lives of our country changed forever, right? You remember looking at the tower maybe as the, the smoke was billowing out and watching live if you were of that second plane hitting, just, just powerful, just crazy. 
The most, empow- the most like powerful, impactful part of all that, though, is thinking back to the people that were running towards the towers, running towards the danger as people were running away with their lives. And so this week, we just want to honor those people that gave their lives that day serving others. We want to remember the families that lost people, loved ones that day. And we also want to take it a step further and think about the first responders here in our very own community, here in Cass County, that rescue, protect, and serve. They answer that call each and every day. We're going to honor them big today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is First Responder Sunday here at Real Life Church. Check this out. We remember where we were. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack. And the images of 9-11 are seared into our minds. The whole side has collapsed. The whole building has collapsed. The whole building has collapsed. The building has collapsed. Pictures of airplanes flying into buildings. Back and forth, wingtip to wing. That aircraft, he can't get a hold of it. He turned to the east now. We felt confused. That looks like a second plane. United 93. We felt vulnerable. Another one just hit. Something else just hit. I've never seen any. It looks like a movie. I saw a large plane, like a jet, go immediately headed directly into the World Trade Center. Tears filled our eyes as we watched the tragedy experienced by thousands of Americans. And it looks like it has crashed into probably 20 stories from the top of the World Trade Center, maybe the 80th to 85th. We remember the strong and courageous passengers flight on Flight 93, 93 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where the actions of heroic citizens saved even more heartbreak. And destruction. Passengers like an exceptional man named Todd Beamer. The New York Fire and Police Department. With the daring of our rescue workers, with the caring for strangers and neighbors who came to give blood and help in any way they could. It's been 20 years and we still remember. Hey guys, thanks for being here today for First Responder Sunday. And uh, this can be a little different Sunday than normal. So we're going to slow down a little bit and uh, really share some stories from 9-11 and kind of walk through that day a little bit and then give some honor to people that really deserve some honor. So um, we all kind of remember where we were. Raise your hand if you remember where you were in 9-11. That's if, you, if you're old enough, you know where you were. And for all of us, we have these memories that flood back in. And so you think about September 11th, it started out like any normal day, just full of sunshine and late summer and uh, it ended with all of us really having these images of planes and buildings collapsing to the ground and engraved into our minds and our souls. Like for every one of us that saw 9-11 and watched it on TV, like literally it's just something you see and you can't get past. It's like one of those things you look at but you, you can't forget. Uh, and every year we kind of remember this day and kind of honor and it kind of fades away every year. And I thought, man, 20 years, this is unreal. Like I can't believe it's been 20 years. I was 16 years old when this happened, you know. And to go back and say, I remember last year at this time, I was like, we are going to do something big on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. We're going to honor these people. And so I've been really prepping and thinking through this message, and God has been showing me so much stuff. And this moment in time we have, we really have this moment that is really defining for us as a country. It really shapes us as individuals. We look at we really can't put in a box. It's almost like watching a, a horror movie. Like, is this even real as you're watching these towers collapse and people jumping from the buildings and you're just watching, wondering, like, how can this be reality? And the Bible calls this moment like a Kairos moment, like an event in time that you just can't stop. You can't 
do anything about. You can't reconcile in your own heart. You're this disorientated, almost in shock, and you're still trying to maybe put the pieces together as I was researching this message and really thinking through everything. It's so hard to actually come up with anything that's full tangible, if that makes sense. And so Jesus, he talks about a Kairos moment in the Bible. It's found in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He said, the time has come. Somebody say time. The time, the time has come. This word time is not the word like uh, sequential time, like chronos, like a clock. This is the word kairos, which is the time. It's an event has happened. The time is now, Jesus is saying, when he showed up. There's an event that's here that you can't mistake. There's an event you're not going to get past. There's an event that's going to disorientate. There's an event that's going to change all of history, and that time is now. Matter of fact, goes on to say the kingdom of God has come near. It's here in this moment, repent and believe the good news. And so Jesus, in his presence on earth, was a Kairos moment that changed everything. And for us as a country, 9-11 was that moment. So all I want to do is just walk through some stories and weave in what maybe God was doing and some things we can take away from this tragedy and honor some of our first responders today. You know, as we first got the reports on that morning of what was going on, every report a small aircraft. Do you guys remember that? A small aircraft had hit the North Towers. Most of us thought it was like a small single-engine plane, and so it got a little disorientated. But as you watch the TV, you realize that this was not a small plane. Later, we'd find out that it was American Airlines Flight 11 fully fueled on its way to California that was used as a weapon, as terrorism against a symbol of freedom and democracy and liberty in our country. It was 17 minutes later as we, most of us watched. I don't know anybody was watching the second plane as it hit. I was 16. I was in high school, and they did this old thing that's going to date me. They rolled the TV in. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, TV. So old, you know. In the, in the library because we didn't have much TVs. And uh, they rolled one in, and we were watching live television as the second plane hits the South Tower just 17 minutes after this first plane had hit. And everybody realized this is a terrorist attack. And, you know, we often forget, like, how powerful this explosion was. Obviously, you can see this massive fireball. And I was reading these stories this week, and there's a lady named Christina Sand. She lived six blocks south of the World Trade Center. Um, she lived in um, an apartment building on the 24th floor. And she was sleeping. Her husband was awake, and the first plane hit the tower. And, of course, it awoken her. And her and her husband get on the balcony, and they're just watching as there's debris and flames and smoke and wondering what in the world has happened. And... A second plane flies over their apartment building and literally just hundreds of feet over them and smashes into the south side of the South Tower. This explosion is so powerful. I never realized how powerful this really was from their level. They're six blocks away, which is a quarter mile. They're 50 floors below them on the side the plane hit, not on the far side. And they're watching this explosion and literally it blew them off of their feet and threw them back in the apartment and knocked her unconscious. It's absolutely incredible to imagine being that far away from something that would do that. And so Brian, there's a man named uh, Brian. He's up on the sixth floor above the impact zone, Brian Clark. And if you don't know the name Brian Clark, you might write that down today. Anybody know the name Brian Clark today? Ever heard of Brian? Nobody's heard of Brian. We're going to learn a lot about Brian today. So Brian, he was one of the 18 survivors above the impact zone on the South Tower of the World Trade Center. One of 18. So Brian, he was six floors above the impact zone. He said it was like the building had just been blown over six feet. He said it was like you send in 300 people and a construction crew with sledgehammers, and they would just go at it for three months. Just instantly, every piece of debris and drywall and ceilings and glass and paper, everything just immediately just exploded into debris. And he thought the building was falling over. He literally thought the whole building was going. And then it swayed back and stopped. 
It's incredible how powerful this moment was in our history. And I'm going to tell the stories of Brian and Christina all throughout this message. And you can get their full story because uh, there's a really, I mean, you got to listen to it. I know a few of you, Jody's listened to this a little bit. But it's called, it's called The Unfolding Podcast by Meredith Foster about 9-11. You got to look it up. It's so powerful. But for most of us that day, we were observers, most of us, we watched on television, we watched the second plane hit, we watched people jump from flames and smoke to their death off the buildings. We watched as uh, the streets were littered with firefighters and ambulances and personnel and all this debris and people running out of the, the dust and the dirt and just watching us rescue people. We're rescuing people all night long into the next day and just wondering what in the world is going on. As we watch that television, it's incredible how fast all these things happened. All of 9-11 occurred within 102 minutes, from the first plane to the last thing collapsing, just less than two hours. You know, American Airlines, never forget Flight 77 that crashed into the Pentagon, the west wall of the Pentagon, killing 187 people. And just 20 minutes later, it just still gets me just hair standing up every time I think about this. And this picture says it all, but as the, as the South Tower, which was the second one that got hit, it only stood for 54 minutes before it collapsed beneath itself. And Brian Clark, as I mentioned a minute ago, he was one of the people above the impact zone, one of the very few people that made it out of any of the buildings from the impact zone. And so Brian, his story is, is really unique, and he tells his story, and he comes down off the flight of stairs from stairway A, usually takes C, but turned to A, and he had a group of people from his work, had a very large company that had been in the building for over 30 years, so he knew the World Trade Center really well. He was a fire brigade guy or trained in fire from his company. He was real high up in the company, but... He, they want to have people in leadership that knew how to lead people because they're going to follow him. And so he had a headlight, a headlamp. He had different things. And he made his way down the stairwell, and it was just full of smoke and debris, and there's people coming up saying there's too many flames, too much smoke. You can't make it out of the building. And so they're sitting at this 81st floor doorway, and they're debating, what do we do? And there's just smoke billowing, and he starts to hear a voice inside the 81st floor. And so he leans against the door, and he hears somebody crying for help. And so he decides with somebody else to go in, and they push the door over, and they start searching. And for whatever reason, the person next to him couldn't breathe and left. So now here is Brian by himself on the 81st floor just above the impact zone, and he rescues this man named Stan. And it's an amazing story that takes place. And uh, they end up being blood brothers, literally bleeding on each other. And they said, we're blood brothers forever, you know humor on the middle of tragedy and so Brian and him they make their way down the staircase and they um wondering if they're going to run the flames like everybody's claiming and they're the only ones left and so they start moving debris and make it through all of the flights of stairs that have been basically halfway destroyed by this plane and it comes to the floors in the 70s and all of a sudden things clean up the air is clean there's there's nobody around and they're having a free passage all the way down the building and it's incredible that they made it all the way down from the 77th floor without seeing a single soul all the way down the World Trade Center that was going down. But there were people coming up. And some of those people were firefighters of the basement, but in the middle floors, there was a man named Jose Mero he worked with, and he had a walkie-talkie back in the old school days, you know, just, and he was talking to other brokers up on the floors above the impact zone, and they were trapped, and so he was coming up to save them. This guy was like a marathoner and a real athlete. And so that was the last time that anybody ever saw Jose Mero alive. As Brian made it down to the 44th floor, which is like this breezeway, it's like where you switch elevators from expresses and stuff. He, he gets out, out, he knew there may be people there, and there was some security, and there was a guy that had been severely injured from the impact, and they said, hey, when you can call for help, send up some medics in the stretcher, uh, we're going to wait here. And of course, you know, they never made it out of the building. And so Brian, he made it down to the 33rd floor, he walks into um, 
Oppenheimer, this big firm, and their phones worked. And uh, he called his wife. He said, I'm doing great. Um, you know, it's a terrible tragedy, this is whatever. But he's like, I'm safe. I'm here with Stan, and we're making our way out of the building. And so they get down to the fourth floor, which is like this big mezzanine. It's like all these restaurants and, you know, all the shopping. And they run down these escalators. Of course, the power's out, and they take the escalators, and they they see the New York City police are there, and um, they ask them what to do, and they say, you can't leave this way. So they walk through the building again, not knowing this thing's about to collapse. And there's firefighters running in. They're getting ready to uh, make an attempt to rescue people, and they're putting together their, their units and their equipment, and they're rushing into the building. And he, they stop him from going outside because he's like, you can't go out this way. There's too much debris falling. You're going to get killed. And he said, well, the cops told me to go this way. He goes, well, you just got to run. He's like, well, what can I look up and kind of judge it? He's like, dude, there's so much stuff. You just got to just run for it. And so him and Stan, they run from the building for their lives and make about two blocks away, and the building collapses. Absolutely incredible story uh, that Brian actually made it home to his home in New Jersey with his wife and his kids and a group of like 40 to 50 people that thought he had died multiple times. And he was there at home by 1.15 in the afternoon. Isn't that crazy? Above impact on the South Tower and home by 115. Absolutely incredible story. You got to listen to it on that podcast. But we'll never forget Boeing 757 and Flight 93. I don't know if you remember a man named Todd Beamer, one of the heroes on that flight that took over from the hijackers. That they're all huddled in the back of the plane. And you may not know this about Flight 93, but it was delayed on the tarmac for 42 minutes. Otherwise, it would have hit its intended target, which was the United States Capitol. They later find out through terrorists and interrogations and methods. And so Todd, who's in the back of the plane, and organized um, really just a kind of Hail Mary pass to, and even said in the, in, on the phone to the FBI and the people he was with that even if the plane crashes, we're going to take this thing down. And you hear his story through there. You learn of all these heroes that day. And at 1028, 102 minutes after the impact of the North Tower, the tower collapses by itself. And I don't know if you remember watching TV just like endlessly. I felt like I was watching TV for months, you know, just wondering what was happening at Ground Zero and all the rescue workers and firefighters and police officers and military and anybody and everybody that they would allow in to help was there. And it was just so sad because they only pulled out 23 people alive from all the rubble, 15 of which were first responders. And then as the dust settled that day, which is absolutely incredible, there was 3,000 people that had been killed. Most of them were men and women and children, civilians. But out of that group of people were these heroes, these people that ran into the buildings, that ran into rescue, and you had 343 New York City firefighters. You had 37 police officers of the Port Authority and the New York New Jersey Police Department. You had 23 police officers of the NYPD. You had eight paramedics and medical technicians from private emergency firms. What's amazing about this, and we often forget, is that over 20 years, these people's lives are still, even the survivors, have really been impacted. And out of, out of these 20 years, all the dust and the soot and the smoke of all the people that were around these buildings, whether they were in them or when they collapsed, have really suffered from serious medical conditions. So there's been 33,000 reported cases of people who have lasting impacts or have died from 9-11 causes from that day. And so today, like, I just want to pause and say thank you to our first responders. Can we do that today? Thank you to all those that go out of their way and serve, for real. They have no idea what you're running into when you get a phone call. You have no idea when you're a police officer or a firefighter what you're showing up to. And for a lot of those guys, they have PTSD. 
They struggle with <clears throat> their own ability to emotionally deal with everything they see. These people do it day in, day out, put their uniform on and their badge to, to serve us with a Regardless of what we believe or what we think or anything else, they're calling and coming to our rescue. And so today's dedicated to all those that ran up flights of stairs not knowing the building was going to collapse. Or maybe they ran up the north building knowing it was going to collapse. Or to the people that helped search through the rubble or people that were standing there next to people waiting for stretchers that never made it out of the building. And so today's dedicated to all of our police, EMT, firefighters, paramedics, and any rescue workers. But I feel like a lot's changed in 20 years. Because I reflected back, like, just being 16 and where the country was and where we were at that time. It feels like so much has changed. Do you guys remember what it was like after 9-11? Do you remember that next day? Do you remember when the, the steel cross emerged out of ground zero? you guys remember that? Do you remember that? It was like God somehow is in this thing. Like, it just doesn't make any sense that it's even fathomable. Remember George W. Bush coming down to ground zero and giving a speech next to firefighters, and of course everybody in the world told him not to show up, and he still gave a speech. And you remember this, you remember the slogan we had in the United States back then? It said, United we. You remember that? I mean, yeah, it gives me goosebumps. Like whatever happened to that? I mean, it seemed like every house flew an American flag. Like there was like such a common unity to people, like rallied behind a common enemy, Al-Qaeda, with the face of Osama bin Laden. Like, we, we just knew as a country, like, we're going to persevere, and all of a sudden, 9-11, which was meant to be in a, an attack on our country in the date 9-11, became all about 9-1-1, about the first responders. Remember that? We started having a bunch of heroes of stories emerging from the rubble that day. There's, like, culture of honor that began to emerge really in, across our country and in our schoolrooms and the places we worked. It was just a unity that I'd never experienced and still haven't experienced since then. And today, where there's like a, still a common enemy that's invisible, I feel like we're divided over, and I'm not talking about COVID. His name is Satan. He has us fighting and warring against each other in this time. Remember the days where cops and firefighters and first responders were heroes in this country? You guys remember that? Can I even say that? Is that politically correct in 2021? I mean, there was a day where it was an honor to wear a badge, an honor for the work you did. And even though a lot has changed in 20 years, I think a lot of things still remain the same. Like you can dial 911, and those same first responders will still run to you, regardless of your skin color, regardless of your political point of view, regardless of what you think about them or cops or anybody else. They'd help random strangers that have no idea what they're walking into to protect us, many of which have seen things they can't unsee, literally struggling in their marriages and relationships and how they love people because of the things they have done to rescue people day in and day out, not sure if they're going to come home at night. The kind of job is a little more um, life expectancy goes down when you're a firefighter and a cop. And at the end of the day, they don't know if they're going to end up on the news. This is the calling that they live out every single day. And so a lot's changed in 20 years, but I want to say for myself and hopefully on behalf of our church that we still believe that first responders and cops and firefighters are still heroes. Amen? Amen. Come on. We can say that. That is who we are. And so what I want to do is I want to spend just a little time honoring just a few of these people. Some of, uh, I'd say, Belden's Police Department's finest. And I know a lot of you in the room are firefighters or cops and EMTs and paramedics. And we honor you guys today. But I especially want to honor, I think it's just this gathering, just one special police officer. And uh, you guys are going to know him. But this is Officer Sean Myers. Come on up here, buddy. Come on. 
If you don't know Sean, it's because you're a really good person. He hasn't had to <laughs> frisk you. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this guy, uh, like clockwork, he loves people. And this guy, every single week, you don't know this or not, behind the scenes, he, he's very strategic. Uh, he, he has a plan, and he's sizing you up, all right? And so if you see him standing behind you or close to you, he knows. He knows. I mean, this guy runs license plates. I mean, there's been people show up that all of a sudden they got their car, and the next thing they know, they're just drinking and throwing back. And he's like, is that kind of normal at church, you know? Like, he's like, if you open that just a few seconds sooner, I would have arrested you, you know? Um, but I would say thank you, just a real heartfelt thank you for all you do. I know this is probably like the last place in the world you thought you'd end up uh, in your career on a stage at church getting thanked. Um, but seriously, you don't know about him. He's on SWAT. He's the, he, he's the first guy in. Uh, he, he's the guy that uh, protects us day and night. You never know the stories. And we have no idea what you go through every single day and the things you've seen, the things you maybe could wish to unsee, and all the work you put in behind the scenes. And uh, I want to say thank you for protecting our kids here at church. Uh, churches are like a target. We all know that. And so for you to be here um, just means the world to us. And so thank you for all you do. Thank you for serving. And the biggest thing is thank you for not quitting. <laughs> Seriously, this last year, when it seemed like a lot of the world quit on you guys. So thanks for hanging in there and making a difference. Come on, give it up for Sean Myers, Officer Myers. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Sean. God bless, man. God bless. Come on. You know, when you leave today, you got to make sure you give them a heartfelt thanks. I mean, and the reality is we should do that to every person who we meet that's serving in public service, to be grateful for what they do every single day. There's stuff that they do that I would never want to do and have the patience for, and they serve so faithfully. And it is a call on their life, just like I'm called to be a pastor. They're called to be in their world, and what they do as police officers and firefighters and first responders. But as I thought about 9-11, I mean, this was a rough one because there's so much you could say, but there's so much you can't even put into words. And so I'm just gonna give you like three thoughts that just stuck out to me as I watched videos and listened and began to contemplate and reflect on 9-11. And so here's the first thought, and it's, it's pretty obvious, but if there's anything you can learn from 9-11 is that everything can change in just a blink of an eye. Like this was 104, no, an hour and 42 minutes between first plane and last building collapse. Like, you're not guaranteed, and I'm not guaranteed that I'm even making it home from church today. Come on, somebody. Like, we always take that for granted. If you're like me, like, I take that for granted. Like, we are like, oh, I got plenty of time. Oh, yeah. we, we almost think like we're superheroes, like we're going to last forever. We don't really contemplate the fact that anything could change at any moment in our life, and are we grateful for what we have today because it's not guaranteed for tomorrow. Matter of fact, Matthew 5.25 talks about this. This is Jesus saying, he says, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What he's saying is good things happen to bad people, and that's not really a fun one to explain, and good things happen to good people, which we like that. It also says that bad things happen to bad people, which we like, and bad things happen to good people, 
which we don't like. And that's so hard to contemplate, especially when looking at a tragedy or a tsunami or an earthquake and all this stuff. And so if you're struggling with, like, how could God allow 9-11 and what is God doing, I would encourage you to go back a few weeks to the message on why does bad things happen to good people. It does not have all the answers, but it will definitely point you in the right direction of where your heart should be and what God may be up to. But you think about this, that our, our life, it's, gonna, it's evil happens to all of us. The good and the bad happened to every single person. In just a few hours, everything changed for us on 9-11. This Bible says about our life in Psalm 39. It says, oh, Lord, help me understand my mortality. Help me to know that I'm not Superman. Come on, somebody. Help me know my days are numbered, that I'm just in flesh, like I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, that there's an expiration date on this side of eternity. Help me be aware and thought out and comes to grip with this idea that I am just a mere mortal and the brevity of life. Let me realize how quickly my life will pass. Look, you make my days short-lived. My lifespan is nothing from your perspective. I mean, of all eternity, this 80 years or 30 years is just a little blink of an eye. He says, sure, all people, even those who seem secure, are nothing but vapor. Even when you show up to an office building to trade stocks and to sell insurance and to uh, do work as a lawyer, who would ever thought that you wouldn't come home today. Just in the blink of an eye, that everything could change. You know, Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 34. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, what he's saying is, hey, you need to stop stressing and anxiety about all the future because today has enough stress and anxiety for itself, amen? I mean, we need to stop worrying about everything else out there. It's like today, it may, it may be the end. What Jesus is really saying is, like, today you need to live like it may be your very last day on earth. Like, you know, we can worry about tomorrow, and I'm not saying you don't have a 401K and don't plan and don't be strategic, and I practice all these things in my staff, and we have goals and all these things, but the reality is we're not guaranteed tomorrow, are we? Like, we have no guarantee, zero, but we like to act like we do. We really do, because we put off so many conversations and we put off so many things that look feel inside of our heart, but we never say to somebody, or we know the right thing to do, but we're just waiting to do it because the moment's not right. And all of a sudden, like, we just someday just realize that we're running out of time. And so we treat every day if it's the last. So here's questions for you. Like, how would you love differently if you knew today was your last day? How would you, how would you love? What would you say differently? Like, maybe what would you confess to somebody? Some of y'all got to call up mommy and daddy. And some of you got to call up your kids. Like, what, what would you do if you knew this day was the end of your life? Better yet, 9-11, who would you call today? I mean, have you heard the phone calls from the North Tower or from Flight 93? That will rip your heart out. And every person who had the ability to call, called. They called somebody to let them know they loved them. Nobody was talking about the dishes. Nobody was talking about the bills. They weren't talking about all the business in life. They were talking to real people. And today it's so easy to forget that even maybe I'm going to be here, but maybe my spouse won't be. And for many people, even like Brian Clark's spouse, literally the first plane hit, his building faces north. The fire hit his building. He looks out the window behind him, and he's like, what in the world? It's like apocalypse, you know? And he calls his wife as the fire falls to the, you know, because it has all the weight with the fuel. He calls his wife, and there's been a, been a, a plane hit. 
And then he's like, they gave the order to stay in the building, which a lot of people didn't, thank God. And he called his wife and said, hey, well, they'll have to stay, so I'm going to be up here. And then the second plane hit, and she thought he died. I mean, that's the story. And then he calls miraculously from the third, third floor, I'm alive. And he was there in the, the bombing in 93, and it took two hours to get from the 33rd floor down out the building. And so when the building collapsed, after he made that phone call, within 15 to 20 minutes later, she knew he was dead. He made his way all the way through on a ferry back home and showed up like, hey, I'm here, babe, just another Tuesday. It's incredible how he made it through there. But you're never guaranteed. Matter of fact, when he saw his wife, she actually passed out on the ground. She was so, she knew he was dead. But we have no guarantees in life. Like, what if, what if you knew tomorrow your spouse wouldn't come home? Like, how would, you, how would your marriage be different if you lived every day if it was the last? What, what if you knew your kids weren't going to come home and that you wouldn't always be there for them? Would the fights change a little bit? Would the conversation change? Would the tone change? We're not going to agree with everything they're doing, but would we love people differently? I got to be real honest, as I did this message and was watching videos and just discovering things that maybe I haven't thought of in a while or maybe even new things, I remember sitting there in my office this week, and my little boy, Levi, he's nine months old, and he's bouncing around doing his thing, you know. I just remember watching this and just picking him up and just holding him a little tighter. Because I'm realizing, like, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I'm known for my love for people. And maybe the greatest thing you can do today as you reflect on 9-11 is just to love people way better. Just to leave today and just hug your spouse a little longer, to get with your family a little more, and to be less worried about everything else that's happening in life because everything can change in the blink of an eye. Second thing that I thought of, don't wait to get right with God. Don't wait to get right with God. In fact, I read all the stories and watching the stuff, and there was one common theme with all the stories. Every single one of them prayed. Every single one of them. There was Christians and non-Christians, people who grew up in, everybody was praying. Everybody was asking God to do something. Nobody could put it in their heads what was going on. And today you have the opportunity to get right with God. And I think there's stories, like I didn't know Todd Beamer prayed. I had no idea that the whole plane actually prayed. The terrorists took over the plane and they put everybody in the back of the plane on Flight 93. Back of that plane, he, Todd uh, Beamer used his credit card to old school phone, right, on the back of the chair and had to type his stuff in and it got rerouted to the FBI and another person through the airlines and he didn't get to talk to his spouse or nothing, but he was talking to them and they knew that that plane was headed towards a building. And the FBI was on there and George W. Bush gave a authorization to shoot Flight 93 out of the air if it got close to Washington, D.C. or New York City. So they knew it was do or die. And so in the back of that plane, they recite the Lord's Prayer. It's on the phone call. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as earth is in heaven. And they all prayed in the back of that plane, all, all the 87 people in the back of that plane, they prayed. And then you hear that famous line that we never forget, Tell my wife and my kids I love them. He had two, two kids. His wife is pregnant with his daughter. He says, you guys ready? Let's roll. Matter of fact, that's not the end you really hear of the story because he actually makes it to the cockpit. <laughs> they try to grab the yoke out of the terrorist hands and all you hear him saying is, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. And this guy's crying out, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. And the plane is upside down and rams in the ground at 500 and some miles an hour. 
Man, what a hero. But they all prayed. And they all thought about eternity. And they all thought about what their life was like and where they were gonna go and what to do. And they just couldn't help themselves push to pray. And I think of Christina Stanton. She was up on the 26th floor of the building. And she was in her pajamas and she came to with her dog lapping her face and her husband shaking her. And they ran down the building, got outside and she realized she was in the pajamas and no shoes on and she tried to get back up. I need my shoes and they wouldn't let her in. And she started realizing this is not a really normal day. It doesn't matter. And so she starts walking around the streets of South Manhattan without shoes on and pajamas. And she makes it all the way down to Battery Park which is just a few, maybe six, seven, eight blocks south of the World Trade Center. It's the farthest point you can go on the island. There's nothing left. You know, the island had shut down all its bridges, all the railroads, the subways. There's no way off the island except for a boat. They're waiting and people are coming just covered in soot and dust. And she looks at her husband and she goes, are we gonna die today? And he looks at her and says, I don't know. And he grabs her hands and begins to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, earth is in heaven. And she's looking at him like, this guy's crazy. She literally stared at him like, I don't pray. Like, what, what are you doing, you know? And she began to look around and started realizing that if at least they were to die today, they at least die together because they love each other and admit something, but everybody else around them didn't have any spouses with them. They all went to work that day and they were in complete fear and panic. And as that building collapsed, the South Tower came down and shook the park and the smoke ran into it and people were jumping into the, the river. People were crying out, not knowing what to do and people were just packing in because there's nowhere left to go. It's crazy, but they all pray, they all stop to pray. Even Brian Clark, he came down from the, the towers, he made it across the street. He ended up in a deli of all places. They gave him free water, come on. And he got, a, he got one of those serving trays full of food. And the guy just gave it to him, like, here, just take it. And so he's carrying the serving tray. He ends up at Trinity Church, and it's Episcopalian Church. And there's some priest outside. And they're just praying with people. And they ran into him and said, you, you wanna pray? And he's like, I guess, I don't, this is not normal. I don't normally go pray, but yeah. And so he prays with these priests and him and the guy he rescued, Stan, which make up 11% of the people who made it from above the impact zone on any of the towers. And so they're praying and they get done praying. He says, would you like to come to church today? Just pray some more for what's going on. And he's like, I don't normally do this, but I really think we should. And so as they make their way around the backside of the building, they end up at this cemetery. And this building was built like in 1617. This church is super old. And Alexander Hamilton's actually buried next to the church. And as they come around this cemetery, they're holding on the, this wrought iron fence. and They're looking up the World Trade Center. And Stan's like, man, I think the building's gonna come down. And Brian's like, there's no way this steel structure can boom. And it collapses in the middle of a sentence. And so they duck behind the church and this retaining wall and as the debris flies and all the dust and so it actually hits the church and it shoots up in the air like a giant wave, hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air. And they watch it and there's like in this air pocket and they start running south. And they make it into another building and this wave crashes down outside of them. And he's still holding this tray of food because <laughs> he has forgotten he even has it. And he sits down with these people as they're coming in and they're eating this gourmet deli meal as things are collapsing and breaking around them. But they all prayed. And so today, like in this moment, like we're not guaranteed tomorrow and everything can change in the blink of an eye. What's stopping you from getting right with God right now? What's stopping you from saying, okay, God, I got some work to do. Like maybe some of you guys got to search this thing out. 
I mean, what's stopping you from praying right in this moment and searching it out and seeing where God is at in your life? You know, for a lot of people on 9-11, they didn't really get the opportunity to do that. There's a lot of us that won't get the opportunity either because we never know when the end is gonna happen. We don't know the time or place of our expiration date on this side of eternity. And so why not get right with Jesus now? I saw somebody post this yesterday. I thought it was really good. They said, we're all gonna die someday, so don't worry about it, easy to say. They said, it's all about location, location, location. I love it. It's all about where you're gonna go when you die. It's not the fact you're going to, it's just a matter of when and where are you gonna go. I love the first opening line to Jesus' public ministry talked about right being in the message. Mark 1, 15, he said, the time has come. He said, the Kairos moment has come. The event that changes every event moving forward, the event that literally divided time that Jesus came to our world to die on the cross for our sins is the greatest moment of all time. Come on, somebody. It's the moment that changed everything for us. He said, this Kairos moment is here. The kingdom has come and it's near. It's almost like you could reach out and you could grab the kingdom of God right now beside you. That Jesus is literally wants you today. That's how close God is to you. He says, repent. He says, just change your mind. Just change your way of thinking and believe in the good news. Just believe in Jesus. Believe what God did for you on the cross. Every single person was praying to God. How's your relationship today? Is there something you need to work on? Is there something to search out? Maybe something to confess? Something to believe more? If you put your head in the pillow tonight, are you 100% sure that if you didn't make it, you'd wake up in heaven? Not 99.9% sure, 100%. I mean, we got this idea that we're gonna last forever and we have all this extra time laying around, but we do not have that guarantee. Yeah, I think of this lady, Christina, saying she actually wasn't a Christian and she ended up going to a church with her husband. Uh, it was Tim Keller's church, Redeemer Church in New York City. And she starts hearing these messages of hope. She actually showed up because she needed some help because her dog had so much trauma. This dog was dying. It wouldn't eat anything. And so they had all these vet bills and they didn't have a place to live and they had no jobs. Everything was destroyed. And so they showed up to have this vet bill paid for and the church paid for the dog vet bill just as a, a way to help and she's like it was a complete handout and something was changed about it. they listened to my story and I started going to church there and this lady it's an incredible story she ends up becoming a Christian and she ends up going and growing and growing and growing and she ends up on staff she's literally 20 21 20 years post 9-11 she's on staff at Redeemer Church because 9-11 and her husband's on staff and he works with missions and does different things it's an incredible story but are you 100% sure today? Like she wasn't sure, but you can be sure. Last thing is this, we always carry a culture of honor around us every single day. John 15 says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than lay down one's life for his friends. There's no greater love you can ever have than to sacrifice yourself for somebody else. There's no greater love you can have than to serve somebody. There's no greater love than to get low and to serve somebody in their time of need. Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus was the greatest servant of all time. It says in Psalm, two, or Psalm it says in Philippians 2, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. 
Like this is what it looks like to serve each other. Here's what Jesus did. It says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He wasn't a selfish ambition. He rather made himself nothing. He emptied himself, taking on the very nature of a, come on, help me out, a, a servant. Jesus, who could have been the king, came as a servant to us, being made in human likeness. He emptied himself of these attributes that he could have exercised the entire time, but came like a human, as a baby, born of a virgin, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself to become obedient to death, even the death of a cross. Jesus was our greatest example of what it is to serve and love people. I've often heard it said, you're never more like Jesus than when you serve. And Jesus gave all of his life to serve all humanity. And we were called to give all, all, all of our lives to serve other people. We still fight a common enemy. And it's not Al-Qaeda. It's not everything. It's not even COVID. It's Satan. And Satan does not have a skin color. He's not wear a uniform or even a badge. Do you know our enemy is not stopped by a mask or a vaccine? Come on, somebody. So they can post that online, that'd be good. But we're so divided over stuff that's really not stuff. But we have a culture of honor to serve all people instead of fighting. You know, everybody has a calling in this moment of what honor looks like. And I thought one of the greatest examples of honor was found on 9-11. It's incredible if you put this picture up down at, uh, at Battery Park, very south tip of Manhattan Island. You, you can't really, you can't see it. It's covered in smoke. It's the far left part of your screen. Make sure I get that right. <laughs> Maybe inverted. But it's the far left side of your screen just completely covered in smoke. This is the south tower just collapsed. And there's going to be another tower that's going to collapse and add more smoke on top of that just about 30 minutes later. And so there's tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people trapped in South Manhattan. And so the Coast Guard is watching this happen and people are hurt and people are scared and what to do. And the Coast Guard realizes there's no way that we're gonna get everybody off of this island the way we're doing it. Like there's not enough boats for the New York transit to move these people. And so they put out this plea. They ask all mariners, anybody that has a boat and is willing to rescue people to answer the call and to show up. It's an incredible story. And so people are unhooking their tugboats and their, their giant yachts and their runabout boats, these little dinky boats like we'd have in the Lake of the Ozarks, right? These little boats. And they start going over and start rescuing people. And the Coast Guard, they just pull up on the pier and they start looking at boats that they pull up and say, okay, you got seven. Your boat can hold 300. Your boat can hold 80. And they start spraying people off with water and if people are injured, they get on first. And throughout the entire day, 24 hours they evacuate 500,000 people from South Manhattan. It's an incredible story. I'd never even heard of this story. And it turns out that it's actually the, the biggest, largest water rescue in the history of the world. And we never heard of it. What, what, a, what a great picture of what it is to be a Christian. What a great picture it is to be a servant. Like there's people in need. I've got a boat. I'll go. And people showing up to rescue people. You know, our first responders, they still do that to this day. They get phone calls every day. Every hour of every day, they answer the call. Think of Brian Clark as he came down that building and he saw a security officer on the fourth floor. He saw NYPD. He saw firefighters. He saw other rescue workers. And he said his biggest regret, is by the way he tells the story, 
is that he didn't memorize the badge numbers of every single person he ran by because none of them are alive today. And he can't tell their stories as they ran up flights of stairs and stood next to people that were dying and directed traffic for debris flying as it was killing people. What an incredible story of honor. I think as Christians today, like we have a lot to live up to as Christians because Jesus set a pretty high bar what it looks like to serve, didn't he? And that we can serve and give back and love people the way Jesus did. You know, let it not be called of our generations that we were a bystander of COVID. They were a bystander or maybe even an antagonist, but we were a leader and we ran on a rescue mission of souls, serving and honoring people in our generation. And so for us to say to our first responders today, I'd love to tell you, thank you for answering the call. Come on, somebody. Thank you for running to our rescue when you don't have to. You're, you're a volunteer that gets paid. Come on, somebody. You decide to be a police officer every single day and a firefighter and EMT to put on that uniform and to put on that badge. You decide every single moment if you want to do it. So thank you for doing it. Thank you for working 24 on and 24 off. Come on, somebody. Thank you for being a part of the protection of our city, protection of our church, for being a phone call away. Man, when the world stood still on 9-11, as we watched, they moved and they ran. Thank you for running in as we were running out. And most important for all our first responders in 2021, thank you for not quitting when reality is allow the world to quit on them. And so 20 years later, post 9-11, there's one thing I gotta say, I'll say thank you for the bottom of my heart, for me, hopefully as a church, for all the first responders that we still remember. And that 9-11 for me, isn't it a day where I remember a bunch of terrorists? I remember a bunch of heroes. Think of 9-11, I don't know any names of any terrorists. The only name I know is Osama Bin Laden, anyone in there? There's a great story, you gotta read about that later. But the reality is, I see a lot of heroes on 9-11, don't you? And they still exist today. So it's no longer 9-11, it's just 9-1-1, amen? And so God, we come before you. God, I pray for each person, God, that we would consider our own mortality, God, that we realize that life is short, that anything can happen in the blink of an eye, and that we have a culture of honor, not just in our church, but in our lives and our community. And so we'd serve other people around us. God, help us not be focused on ourselves. We'd empty of ourselves and we'd serve other people. God, we thank you for every police officer and firefighter, every family affected from 9-11. God, I pray a blessing, even this moment, even for all these children that were never met their parents, maybe weren't born yet, the hundreds of children that were still in the womb that never got to meet one of their parents. And so God, I thank you for what you're doing. In the life of our church, I pray that we be a church that's just a servant church, a church that gives honor and respect and lives out this legacy of what it is to be the greatest servant. Not the most powerful person in the room, but the greatest servant in the room. So today I wanna pray for somebody specific that's though you say, that you know what? I need to have a better culture of honor. This, this season I've, I've been so divided on masks and so divided about COVID and so divided on politics and so divided on stuff. And I'm all these feelings and all these things. I'm so worried about tomorrow and what everybody else is doing. But today I realize that anything could change at any moment. I've got some amends to make. I've got to build some relationship rapport with my kids and with my wife and my family. There's some phone calls I got to make today. And if that's you, in just a moment of honesty, if you just raise your hand and say, that's me today, I need to have a culture of honor. I realize life is short. Come on, put your hands up across this place, that's you. So easy to be that person. Come on, we've all been there. We pray for each hand, each person. God, I pray you do a work in their heart. God, that wouldn't be about us, 
God, be all about you that our life is so short, it's fleeting, that we're not superheroes. Help us to know that our expiration date can happen anytime, any moment, any place. And so we live differently and we love differently and we serve differently. So help us understand the brevity of this life so we can be a picture of you in this generation and not be pulled into the division, but create unity and stand together. Pray for one more group of people. That's those of you that get to get right with God today. Those of you that knew if you were to put your head in the pillow, you'd be like, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. You have no idea what tomorrow's gonna bring. And you're wondering, what is this all about? And who is Jesus? Jesus, sinless son of God. He died on a cross for us 2,000 years ago. It is the Kairos moment of all moments, divided time. And Jesus came for you today. The Bible says, whoever believes in Jesus, confess him out that he is Lord. It says they will be saved. And so maybe today you just need a star relationship with Jesus. You don't know all the answers, but you know he is the answer. And so if that's you, you want to start a relationship with Jesus, without anybody looking around, maybe you're online today, we just raise your hand and say, I need Jesus today. I'm not going to call you out and embarrass you. May I see your hand? Anybody else say, I need Jesus today? Come on. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. The prayer doesn't save you, but it's just your heart towards God. You just say this. Say, Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to invade our world, to shake things up, to change the way we know you. And so I pray that you would save me from my sin. God, I'm turning, I'm repenting, and I'm believing that you died on the cross for me. God, thank you for what you're doing. You can have my life. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give it for those who came to Christ today. Give it for what God's doing. Come on. And hey, if that's you today and you've made that decision to say, hey, today... I'm nailing it down. I'm 100% sure that Jesus is the reason that I can wake up in heaven if today is my last day. I have a couple next steps for you. And the first one's this. I want you to take out your phone and text RLNEXT to 97000. That is going to connect you to part of our website where you can get some resources to connect you to Jesus in that relationship that you're starting with him. There's also a place where you can share your story. And a member of our team would love to reach out to you, to encourage you, to help you as you're taking these steps. And if you're joining us here in person, there is a table on the back on your way out of the worship center. It has red bags on it, and you can grab one of those. Inside of it, it's a free Bible for you and also just a way to connect you to some of those same resources to get you started on that journey. And so let me encourage you to take those steps today if you've made that decision. And hey, what a powerful morning. Let's give it up one more time for our first responders in the house today or joining us online. We so appreciate everything that we do, and I think it's really powerful to be thinking about this idea of a culture of honor. What do we do every day to honor and serve those who have honored and served us? And so all weekend, we've been celebrating our local police and fire um, fighters in our area. And so you may have been driving around town and seen some signs outside of the Raymore City Hall, where a police department is, um, at the South Metro Fire Department on 58. You may have driven by the um, Belton Police Department or the Belton and fire departments as well and seeing these signs around. We've been celebrating those people and what they do for our community, but also we're actually, as we speak right now, a couple of people from our team are actually delivering Jiggy Pig lunch to our police and fire workers. And so come on, that is a great way to celebrate what they do. And just to let them know that we're thankful 
for all of the work that they do, the long hours and the way that they keep us safe and protect us. And so, and if you filled out a card last week or colored a picture or whatever, those are also being delivered with the lunch as so that they can know how much we appreciate them here at Real Life. And so I have a step for you. If you're driving around today, later, after the game, before the game, picking up your nachos for the game, just jump out, take a picture, tag it on social media, just as a way to say, hey, from Real Life, we appreciate you. We thank you for what you do for us. And we would love to see some of those pictures posted online. And I've thought about too, like we say a lot, like we remember, you know, and you see that thing, but one thing, not just to remember what happened and remember how to honor people on these kind of special days is kind of what Sean talked about, living every day in a way that honors those people and what they've done for us. And there's another group of people that we are honoring this morning, also with Jiggy Pig Lunch, also right now. Um, so yeah, you're like, man, I wish I had some Jiggy Pig Lunch right now. But um, there is a place just right up the road off VC called New Life Community Church, and it is a little church in town that's been here for a while. They have two co-pastors, Gary and Keith, and through the grapevine of people, when we were in a space where we needed a space for our youth group to meet, um, we reached out to them and without question, without a doubt, opened up their hands and said, whatever we have is yours. Um, Use our space, use our facility whenever you want, however you can use it. We want to see God's kingdom come to our community, and we want to be part of the Capital C Church. And so these are some of the most open-handed people that we've met. They've been such an encouragement to our youth team and to our church. And so we are honoring them this morning as well by, or today, by doing some Jiggy Pig lunch. But I want you to know that when you are a part of being generous here at Real Life, that's credit to your account. The honor that those guys are feeling this morning, those men and women in the police departments, the people at New Life Community Church are getting that honor and celebrating today because your generosity is making a difference in our community to help have that culture of honor. And so there's three ways you can get connected to generosity. You can go to reallifechurchkc.com and click give. You can text any amount to 84321, or we have a giving box in the back where you can drop cash or check. There's an envelope, but that's easier for you to connect in that way. And so I hope hope that when you're out in the hub after this, if you know somebody who's a police officer, firefighter, military, medic, EMT, I hope that you'll give them a hug, give them a handshake. Don't make it weird, but really let them know that you appreciate them and all that they have done for our community, because we really want this day to be about honoring all of those people in our lives. And so we have so much coming up here at Real Life. And so if you're looking for some encouragement and some hope, check out this video. Hi, this is Diamond with Real Life. Thank you so much for coming this Sunday. I'm just wondering, are you feeling alone? Are you feeling spiritually dry? Are you in need of connection? Our fall life groups are starting in just two Sundays, September the 19th. Don't do life alone this fall. Go to reallifechurchkc.com and scroll through our 15 life groups and find one that works just for you. Church isn't just a Sunday thing. It's about all of us living on mission together. I invite you to be the church. And in two Sundays, wait, that's four. In two Sundays is the moment we've all been waiting for. Real life turns four years old. Join us as we celebrate four years of life change, transformation, and cast the vision for our city. One of the best ways that we will celebrate is through baptism. If you or a family member would like to get baptized, please sign up on our website at reallifechurchkc.com and our team will walk you through every step of the way. We wanna help you win and be inspired on our dream team. So mark your calendars for 
Sunday, October the 24th at 6 p.m. We are celebrating and encouraging you who serve on our dream team with our semi-annual Heart and Soul Night. Pastor Sean and our other leaders will be speaking about and celebrating personal and cultural health. It's a night of worship, celebration, inspiration. It's going down on that night. We're having a good time. So please save the dates. We are so looking forward to you guys coming to Life Group, you guys coming to our celebration slash birthday party slash we're having a good time because real life is four years old. And you guys coming to our Heart and Soul Night season. Bye. <laughs> Man, don't you guys want to come hang out with Diamond? Man, she is so excited. There's so much going on here. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in the next couple weeks. Hey, can we just take one last time and let's give it up for our first responders that are here today and across the country? Man, what an awesome Sunday. What an awesome encouragement, Pastor Sean, to know that, man, we have to make a decision for God today while we still have that moment. Hey, if you need prayer for any reason, we'll have a team member up here. We would love to pray with you. Can't wait to see you guys again next week at 9, 30, and 11. And as always, remember, whoever finds Jesus discovers real life and purpose. See you next week.